Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now in this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you've had to face various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He came a long ways in his life to be able to get to this point. His name is Peter. That reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. This morning, I don't have three points and a poem and a cute little story. This morning, I have one thing to say to you as a church. While you are waiting for the announcement of a new preacher, get busy doing something for Christ. The idea of a located preacher being the minister in a church is less than 150 years old full time. On the frontier, they were traveling itinerant evangelists. Now, if you want documentation, ask John Cannon because he loves history. The idea of, that we've gotten used to, let's wait on the preacher before we can move forward as a church, is unbiblical, unhealthy, and does not take into account that the Spirit of God lives in the people of God, and there's plenty of ministry to do besides waiting on a new preacher to show up. Amen? Amen. There's a lot of ministry to do, so there it is. You have it. It's, we can go to lunch now. I just said it. I just said it, but... In the first century, in the context of 1 Peter, you have some people who have been living on the margins of the culture as Christians. And you have this word suffer, this phrase suffer all kinds of trials in 1 Peter 1. And we just automatically assume they're being put in prison. They're, Nero is the Roman emperor and there's being stakes run up them and kill them. And they set, set them on fire in Nero's gardens, which is historically accurate. But the problem with that, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in the book of First Peter that indicates what I just described is going on. If you will consider suffering in First Peter in every context, what you find is this. They are being maligned for their Christian values and Christian faith. They're being insulted for following Christ. 
the, the suffering in 1 Peter, 95% of the references have to do with being maligned, being insulted, and have to do with being talked about because of their faith and their morals. 1 Peter will say, you know, these people are surprised that you do not engage, here's this big phrase, in the flood of dissipation. Whoa. Even a good English person that's here today would go, I got to unpack flood of dissipation. Let me just translate it in Paris, Texas terminology. They're surprised you're not going to their parties and doing what you used to do with them before you found Christ. You hear me, church? Flood of dissipation is all these activities that just take you completely away from the person of Christ. They are so surprised, these people, these pagans that revile you, that insult you, that malign you. Basically, they're talking about you. Now, nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, I hope I get talked about 40 times today in a negative way. I mean, who wants that? But the reality is this. There is no indication in 1 Peter that Nero is lighting the fires in his garden with the bodies of Christians. Not yet. That eventually happens, but not in 1 Peter. All the context of suffering in 1 Peter has to do with verbal abuse. Has to do with being maligned, reviled, insulted. And that's why he reminds them of some things when you're going through difficult times in your life as a church, when you're going through difficult times in your life as, as, as a Christian, you've got to ask yourself, how invested am I in the body of Christ as a respite, as a focus, as a community of faith. So let me ask you a question. We're going to take a test this morning. Oh, no, it's not even Monday morning. It's not even school. We're going to take a test. It's on a scale from one to seven. You can't really flunk it. It's wherever you think you are. One being, I mean, that's, that's, that's the lowest possible score. Seven is, yes, that's it. Well, here's the question. And I want you to assign yourself a number. We're not going to raise hands. Okay, we're not going to do any of that. This is for you to think. Here's the question. How invested are you in the Lamar Avenue Church of Christ as a whole? Let me ask it again. One is, not at all, I just show up. Seven is, I'm all in. These are my people, I love these people, I'll serve these people, I'll be hospitable with these people, I'll care for these people, I will serve with the gifts God's given me, I will help because I realize it's not an I deal, it's a we deal. How invested are you in the well-being of the Lamar Church of Christ as a whole? You got a number in mind? One is, not at all, I just, I'm here. Seven is, I'm all in. I'm all in. Now, people have seasons in their life and they go through all kinds of things. They can't be in quite as much. Recently, I was with the church and I had about 30 people representing the church and I asked this question, this very question. No one was above four. So I asked the question, another question. 
What is the implication of that? Saying you want to go forward. You want me to help you in a process to identify a preacher. And you as the body of Christ. There's only one person in here above four. And it's an elder's wife. Elder wasn't even above. Close to her. What are the implications if the body of Christ, the we of Lamar Avenue, not the I, we've got enough I stuff going on. Well, I don't like this, and I wish we would do this. And I, 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 the middle of sin is I. I, 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 that's not a Navy term. I, 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 you know, that's not it. I want you to think about the question. How invested in you are you in the well-being of the whole of Lamar Avenue Church of Christ? Why do I say that? Because these people are being maligned, are being reviled because of their active faith in Jesus Christ. He has to remind them that they're born anew, that they're new birth people, and they have a way to exist and conduct to exhibit in the world as well with each other. That's why he says, be sincere in your love with one another. That's why he says over and over and over again, here's who Christ is. Here's the, what it means to follow in his steps. He did not open his mouth and he was led as a sheep into the slaughter. Isaiah 53 is the reference in chapter 2. He committed no deceit. That's why there's an emphasis in chapter 2 verse 1. Rid yourselves then, if you have this new birth life and you know who you are in Christ and you are headed toward, you are moving toward what it means to, be, to grow up and be fully formed by Christ. In the ancient world, do you know how they knew gold was pure when they'd heat it and heat it and heat it? How did they know gold was pure? You could see your reflection in it. Your faith though refined by fire, is more precious than gold. 1 Peter chapter 1. What's he trying to say? The goal of the Christian life is to look more and more and more like Jesus in, in, our, in, in our spirit, in our life, in our conduct, in our speech. That's why he says, get rid of malice, get rid of guile, get rid of insincerity, get rid of envy, get rid of all slander. Those are, how many of those have to do with the way we talk? How many of those have to do with our speech? Watch. Like long for pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up. Then he says, I want you to proclaim the mighty deeds because you're of him who's called you out of darkness into light. Why? Because you're chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. What we have to do as a church is moved from an I orientation to a we orientation, and we are consumed with individualism in our culture. I, 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 right? It's all about me. It's all about my preference, and I like this song, and I, I want the elders too, and I wish that Lamar Avenue we had. I, 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 I wish, I think, I feel. It is so much ingrained in us to think in terms of us as an individual, and yet over and over and over, the message of the New Testament is, you are the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The ear cannot say to the mouth, I don't need you. Over and over and over it goes. 
So this morning, when you're looking at 1 Peter 2 and you're thinking about what suffering is, oh, I'm going, I'm going through a tough time. He's addressing the whole church who's going through some kind of social abuse is the heading I would put, guile, slander, being maligned, all those things. It's social abuse. That if you follow Christ and choose to live his life, there'll be people that go, I can't believe you're that way. Well, you used to be. I remember when you did. Why don't you? And if you take a stand on Christ and you live for Christ and you, your conduct and your speech is, is exhibiting Christ, you can be assured of one thing. It's going to make a lot of people who aren't living that way very uncomfortable. So here we go. Live as a- aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among Gentiles, chapter 2, verse 11, so that God will, you can glorify God when he comes to judge. So, number one, you don't have to wait on any announcement of a preacher to come to go, finally, we got that. Now we know what to do as a church. Now we know what to do in the direction. Now we know how to be this. Now, that is absurd, unbiblical, unhealthy. You are the body of Christ. Amen. You've got plenty of ministry to do. You've got to ask yourself, how invested am I in the well-being of the whole? Second thing, we must live with the end in mind. We must live with the end in mind. I was coming off of I-30 yesterday, middle of the afternoon, got on 24. I have this little button on my Toyota Avalon. It says sport. You know what that means? It means if you're going 70, you can get to 76 fairly quickly. Okay? And I thought, well, I'm going to pass this person. And I kind of misjudged how close I was to somebody. It not only went to sport, it went to triple sport with my foot. I look up, I'm going 88 miles an hour on 24 going around thinking, oh my goodness. Well, I shut her down, got over the lane. But you know, I raise my risk of not going home to my wife every time I get on the road. And every time I fly and I travel. And Karen and I talk a lot about the way I'm traveling and the way I'm going and the way I do. And I raise my risk. So I'm never going to leave my house without her knowing I love her. I'm never going to leave my house and get on the road without asking for God's guidance and God's wisdom. And I'm going to make sure that I've been living with no regrets and that I've given myself everything I need to do. I, I want to make sure I've done it. We talk a lot about living with the end in mind. It could be today, going home. And it has nothing to do with me going 88 miles an hour. And I see my state trooper over here. He didn't hear any of that. I'll buy you a Dairy Queen. I've got a Dairy Queen gift card if you stop me. But the thing is, don't you? But why are we surprised by that? Every day is a gift, isn't it? So what kind of advice does Peter give 
for a living with the end in mind. First Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11 is on the front of your bulletin. I want you to read it with me because it's Eugene Peterson's The Message. And you may hear it a little bit differently than if you read it in your King James or your NIV or your whatever version you read. I want you to read it with me because I think it just sort of says, if you're going to live with the end in mind, here's some very practical things to do. And it has nothing to do with you having a preacher here. It has everything to do about how invested you are in the body of Christ, using your gifts to the glory of God and serving others. Let's read it together. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so that all get in on it. If words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he'll get all the credit as the one mighty in everything, on course to the end of time. Oh, yes. I love that translation. It's in chapter 4, 7 through 11 in your Bible. The end of all things is near. God's redemption, God's fulfillment. Some people say, well, this means it's the end of the time, and that didn't happen, so you can't trust the Bible. Maybe what Peter's doing is saying, for you people going through tough times, the end is near. They believed wholeheartedly in the first century that Jesus would come in their lifetime and instead of relaxing and waiting, instead of saying, well, we'll just wait. If he's going to come, things are bad out there. Let's just retreat. Or, as I say it in the old, old West terms, let's circle the wagons. Well, anybody that circled the wagons in the old movies died. Think about it. How many Westerns have you seen, even the good ones with John Wayne? And, you know, come on. If they circle the wagons, they're in a defensive posture, are they not? And nine out of ten times, they got the arrows. And the wagons were burned. Church, you can't wait for the announcement of a preacher if it's next week or three weeks from now. You have got to be church now. The whole future does not depend on the guy that's regularly here every Sunday preaching and helping. The body of Christ is bigger than John and Grady and Patrick and any preacher you've ever had in the last hundred years. The body of Christ is, more, is bigger and more important than one man. Get out there and do something for Christ. Listen to the language Pray, love, it covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable and don't complain about it. I know it's tough times. There's lots going on in a, even in our own culture. There's a lot of things in Syria and in Washington and all over the country and even in this town with homeless and people that are, that are not making and are living barely getting by and some not getting by at all. And there's problems and struggles and we can focus so much on that. But if you live with the end of mind, 
then you can go ahead and be hospitable and you don't have to complain about it. You can go ahead and pray. You can go ahead and love. You can be a good manager, a steward of all the ways God's grace has come to you in your life. That's the text. Serve one another using whatever gift you have received to faithfully administer God's grace. If you're going to speak, speak the very words of God. If you're going to serve, do so with the strength God provides so that God may be glorified in all things through Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. So there it is. How invested are you in the well-being of the whole? Are you willing to move from an I orientation in your life to a we orientation? It's about us. It's about us. How invested are you in us? In us. Your new preacher will want to know that. And here's the truth. He'll pick up on it real quick. And he'll already assign a number to you. One to seven. And it won't take very long for him to pick up on it. They're good people. They're here on Sunday. But you know you ask them to do ministry. You fill in the blank. Of how you respond. You don't have to wait. Live with the end of mind. Think instead of I. Think we. God is a good God. I want to get to the point in my life that when I look through my suffering, I see Jesus more clearly than ever. And I want to be like Christ with all people in all things. And I promise you, I'll try to avoid going 88 today, going home. But if something were to happen to me, my wife knows I love her and there's no regrets in my life and I'm going to see Jesus. But I refuse to circle the wagons in my life and wait. Let's take an offensive posture and be proactive in service and hospitality and love and prayer and kindness and don't wait on anybody. And here's the thing. You have four elders. You don't have to ask their permission to do any of this and they don't want you to. That was the time that four elders should have said amen. <laughs> we will talk about that after church. The size of steak I would like is about, oh, okay. May God bless you. May the grace of our Lord and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love of God be with you. You don't have long to wait for an announcement about a new preacher. I'm confident of that. But don't circle the wagons, church. You got plenty to do. How are you using what God has given you to bless others moving from I to we. If you need to be baptized into Christ, which puts you into Christ, it puts you into the body of Christ, it puts you into we. And we need each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. Let's stand and sing.